0: Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health.
1: Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with Chris Severn, the founder and CEO of Turquoise Health. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. How are you?
0: It's good to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. Um, the uh, I know we're going to talk about price transparency, which a lot of people have Made some efforts at this in the past, and uh, but the first thing that I need to understand is how do you how do you go from and you're going to laugh that I know this, but because I did my research, salesman at Sports Authority, stand-up comedian, um, let's see, uh, writer of AI analytics for revenue cycle management, dream job, first thing you thought of when you went to college was that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, how did you? Goes from all that to becoming uh, a founder of a business uh, that, that wants to figure out what things cost in healthcare.
0: Yeah, first of all, selling shoes sports at sports authority in college was a great job. That, that's just yeah. like on the board doing retail sales is, is great experience. After that, I landed in revenue cycle by accident, um, working at a consulting firm out of college. And then, you know, throughout the first decade of my professional life, you just have this itch to start something. And so you look to your hobbies first, like, hey, maybe I could start a comedy business. Maybe I could start a video business. And then eventually, I think I realized that the itch to start something can also correspond with with what you're good at professionally. And that's what led us to Turquoise. And here we are. Uh, Who's your favorite comedian? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm an improv guy. And so I like anything from like Upright Citizens Brigade or Groundlings. I mean, Will Ferrell is like my all-time favorite yeah. comedian for sure is he a comedic actor or a comedian uh, it's a really loose definition you know barrel stand up but um you know I, I definitely treat him as a comedian and a lot of those folks had their their foundation in improv and yeah. so just off the cuff, they're phenomenal
1: I know they just they're able to do it right there like when you see him like in a wimble he goes to the tennis events and they always interview him and he's He's always got something going on. I don't know what he what he, what he if,
0: you, if you can make people laugh in a basic interview, it doesn't matter if it's stand up or something like that. That's yeah. that's impressive. It yeah, qualifies for me.
1: I, I remember John McEnroe and, and his brother were doing the thing. He goes, "I always love coming to these tennis events and listening to the McKenzie brothers." Um, you know, to <laughs> <do> the <laughs> that's
0: that's great. That's that's his style.
1: Totally off the cuff. I would have to think three days to come okay. up with that joke. You know, yeah. So
0: it's good. <laughs> It's a gift, yeah. So I, I think so, I think improv yeah. is a good background for any sort of like whether it's podcasts or running a business. It's just a lot of talking, so yeah, and it's skill to try that. to make it's a skill
1: to try to make people laugh. I I have a friend of mine who who says you'll uh, appreciate this uh, fellow C, CEO goes. He's a retired CEO. He said, "I really loved being a CEO. Um, the worst part about not being a CEO is people don't laugh at my jokes
0: anymore." i also think as a ceo you um you know humor changes right you're not gonna it's not a stand up comedy club and um so i always wonder if you know you know my improv days and comedy days are behind me and now as a health tech ceo i just have a different personality but i'm sure there's still some roots improv days
1: yeah you're either funny or you're not, Chris. I don't know what to tell you. We'll figure that out as we move on. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure that out. All right, let's talk about uh, the turquoise. And I guess, um, so you know about some of these companies, these these uh, companies came through in the aughts, uh, Castlight probably being the one that ended up going public around price transparency. One would assume they didn't have the benefit of machine-readable files and, and, and the postings uh, on the... Payer websites as to what they're paying. But give me some insight as to what the essence around price transparency is from your definition and the value that you think it brings to healthcare.
0: Yeah, we think about price transparency. There's price transparency BC and AD. And the clear delineation for us is January 1st, 2021. And that's when all these laws were rolled out. It makes it a lot easier to be a price transparency business. And it also fundamentally changed how the industry thinks about price transparency. And so, you know, some of the original companies, Castlight, Amino, Sapphire, they really had to build stellar software products atop um, forward-thinking leadership. And I think a lot of that leadership, whether it's a self-insured employer or a hospital or a payer, was around, hey, patients deserve to know the cost of care. And that was your lever, was the member or patient financial experience. And I'm really impressed by those companies and drew a lot of inspiration for them. When the new laws started, the incentives for the industry to engage in price transparency changed. Hey, we've got to be compliant. Hey, we want to know the price of healthcare from a B2B sense. Hey, now Congress is talking about this and we're getting press inquiries and we just have to have a better patient financial experience because we're getting bothered about it in the press. And I think. With all those different um, motivations to engage with price transparency, it's easier to be a price transparency business now, and uh, that's how we think about it at Turquoise. That's why we started the business October of 2020.
1: So in in the market today, uh, if I went to um, my local health my my health plan, my health plan, let's say is Aetna, and yep. I I I go to their website, can I find these can I find these prices someplace on there? Where are they? Like, how do, I get my, how, do I get, how do I use that website to find price? And then how are you differentiating from that experience?
0: There's a bunch of different price transparency data sources now, and it's easy to conflate the different places that you can learn about prices. So before the laws were introduced, January 1st of 2021, Aetna may have a patient estimate tool or a care navigator powered by their own claims data or their own contracts. Um, And that's how you would engage with Aetna rates. But you could engage with only Aetna rates. And what's now possible, powered by the new price transparency data, is you could compare not just the Aetna plan you have, but across all Aetna plans. You could compare your Aetna plan to that Blue Cross plan you almost bought in the marketplace. You can compare horizontally in a way that you couldn't before. And that's why you might want to use the new transparency data instead of claims data to power Uh, a shopping or browsing experience
1: and you're able to to i'm assuming access the data that's on these websites yeah so you could get in massachusetts the in berkshire county massachusetts i get the aetna rates for the different facilities and providers here and you can then go get the blue cross of massachusetts rates or there's a plan out of new york that's in this county and you'd be able to determine what the average cost is based on the different plans for for the for the for the, for the consumer is that the idea or
0: yep. Is it yep and the the price transparency companies and data sources of old relying on claims data have had several years like two decades for some of these tools to evolve based off claims data and be very specific around what is a service package so yeah, am i getting an estimate for the recovery of my outpatient need procedure, the pre-op is everything included, and they can use claims data to stitch together a really good service package. With the new price transparency data being only two and a half years old, you get this benefit of having hyper granular insurer-specific, provider-specific rates. But the trade-off is there's still some growing pains to know, hey, are we actually showing an estimate for the full service package, pre-op, post-op, um, does this include anesthesia? And those are things that, um, as you see over time, the two data sources will be combined, and you'll just land on a better uh, estimates product. Okay. So, what is
1: your role? What is your company's role in all of this? So, what what is your is what is your business,
0: if you will? Um, so the business, you know, reacted to these laws that went live. We call it the world's worst Easter egg hunt. There's <laughs> transparency data hidden on every hospital website. So 6,000 somewhat websites and then every payer website. And you end up with these two piles of new negotiated rates data. And there's a couple of things that we're focused on at Turquoise. You got to turn that those raw piles of data into something usable to patients and industry. So that's a big part of the business. And where we make money is we could sell that cleaned up data to industry for wholesale competitive analysis, and then we can put it on our website for free to consumers. And so that's the first thing for turquoise. The second thing is really looking at where the puck is going and saying, "Hey, the moment that payers and providers or self-insured employers and providers start looking at this data, the next thing they want to do is go renegotiate these rates because you'll see these glaring—you know—you used your county as an example." You might see a glaring market opportunity where the rates are just too high or the ambulatory surgery offerings are just not there. And that gives me incentive as a negotiator at a provider or a payer to take advantage of a market opportunity and say, hey, we could either launch a, a new plan here, renegotiate our rates, add a new provider into network and rebalance the market in your county. And so that's the next phase for Turquoise is how can more of the actual negotiation happen on our platform.
1: So do you imagine a business model where, let's say I was a regional plan and I could look at the national rates and you could build a model for me where you would do a rate comparison and, and I could then exactly. determine whether the nationals were actually getting better rates than me, which I, many people believe they are, but I don't know if they are or not.
0: Yeah, uh, that's that's a big use case that folks are
1: doing today. with data. And you would... You would provide that as 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 part of a software tool, or is it a consulting service? How do you think about the,
0: the the business? Yeah, so right now in the industry, that is a big consulting project. You would hire a firm to go amass a few data sources and do a project for you, and it'd be a pretty expensive project. The turquoise play at this is just a software tool with data that refreshes every month, and so you could create that analysis, and then just go check back in every month and see, hey, how have things changed? Because this data does refresh, payers republish every month. And so that if we assume that this creates more macroeconomic competition, you're going to want to keep a pulse on all the negotiations in your area and where things are trending and when a new plan joins the market or a provider falls out of network. And so that's definitely something you do. And you may want to bring in consultants to help you with that. Or you may want to just have this dashboard and, and keep it up to date.
1: And your business model is to be the tool.
0: Correct? Exactly. We don't sell services and we're a pure um, SaaS subscription. So if I were a consumer, how would I use the
1: how would I use your product? Do I get a chance to go to your website and check it out?
0: Yes. Yeah, okay. So the well, did you say let's go to the website and check it
1: out? Well, do I get a chance to? You know, I mean, if I was a, oh, if yeah. I was just a regular consumer and I knew of you, could I go to your yeah. website and say, you know, I'm going to get everybody's favorite example, my knee replaced. How much mm-hmm. is a, re- how much would it cost me to do that? My current carrier is Aetna. Yep.
0: Yeah. So, what I my answer to that is, I work backwards from the ideal consumer experience. The ideal consumer experience here that I truly think would facilitate engagement from patients is where you could go, you have a referral for a knee replacement, right? You know you need one. You could go browse in your county or in San Diego and see relative to your Aetna plan, quality inventory. So like how accessible is this? Do I have to drive far? Is the surgery available in the next month and cost? And that cost has to be very precise. So this is where like we're not talking about like the market price fish on the menu where you're you have no idea what your you know what the market price is. It's gotta say, you know, Steve would owe $2,221 out of pocket or a very narrow range that you have a guarantee around. And if that data is available to you, you are equipped as a savvy consumer of healthcare. I don't think I don't think everybody will um, want to be savvy consumers of healthcare, but there's a you know. Definitely a contingent of folks that would be, you'd be equipped to say, hey, I'm going to go to the option where I'm paying a little bit more for high quality and yeah, I have to wait a month for the surgery. Or you may say, hey, this is good enough quality. It's available in two weeks and you know I don't want to spend 2,500 bucks. Until that experience is available, I see the Turquoise website and a lot of other tools built upon this data as more like educational platforms where you can get directionally Uh, an idea of how much something would cost, you do need providers and payers to meet you halfway to create that phenomenal consumer experience. You need the packaging of services. You need the guarantee of uh, upfront prices. And I do think a lot of that is enabled by more laws that are rolling out. It's interesting because, yeah, even if you had the allowed amounts,
1: you'd still have to apply the benefits, right? So. You'd have to have the accumulated data, you'd have to understand where people are on their deductibles, their out-of-pocket maximums, the whole the whole thing, which would require cooperation of the health plans, which I'm assuming they're already reluctant providers of this information, would be my guess.
0: That's actually the easy part to some extent, because there's a lot of APIs that can help you go get the accumulator information. What's tough is that what if what it was planned is not actually what happened. So you're in the OR a little bit longer or they use a different, for the implants, it's actually a big deal because they might use a different um, implant than what was planned, or you don't even know the cost of the implant. And so that's where we get into trouble is do we actually know the items and services, the ancillary charges, if you will, that will be rendered such that um, the estimate will be the actual cost share in the end. And that discrepancy right now is what is preventing a very – Wide scale consumer experience for insured patients. So, in that area, you would say
1: there's a lot of work to do before you can have a product that everybody would want to use. But -hmm. in the area of comparable rates and benefiting the competitive nature of the marketplace in one direction or the other, uh, either providers getting more or payers getting better rates, or some payers getting the rate that another payer got, like classically. I think people would say the Blues plans, the belief is the Blues plans get the best rates in local markets, because their market share is usually pretty high, and their, their, na- their neighborhood health plan, generally speaking. yeah. I'm wondering if you've done any work to validate any of those statements, uh, in terms of yeah. how rates are actually dis- distributed amongst plans.
0: Was like, really does, good- does,
1: the, does the biggest plan in the market get the best rates? Is that always the case?
0: You know? You know, there was a really good paper that came out last week using turquoise data, exactly about this topic, and uh, you know I'll have to send it after. I wish I could call the authors out on the podcast, but they they went straight into the topic uh, uh, using turquoise data to say, "Do sorry, there's a bit of a sound coming through. Do uh, does market share lead to better rates?" This is essentially the question they asked, and in some regions we find that the answer is yes. Um, in other situations, cause there hasn't been that much data to go off of in the past. The answer is no, cause it's more random in relationships and who, you know, so th- those are interesting themes that people are finally starting to dig into with the data now that it's, we're two years in and it's, it's more accessible.
1: Cool. So right now the main product is, uh, is a, a B2B software sale to either the providers or the hospitals. And overall the 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 strategy would be to be able to expand that capability to getting a point near point of sale estimate for a overall procedure. And this is, you know, that the interesting thing is, is this has been like the dream of a lot of people in healthcare for a long time. This idea that you could ultimately have a competitive market or even a spot market for yeah. procedures, um, which potentially could be where you're headed with this. I don't know, but I know that there were a lot of health plans that used to say, "Okay, if we had a a patient that was going to do a known procedure, whatever it happens to be, um, we could put post it and see what these different providers with different quality ratings yeah. were willing to do at any given time, depending on their demand profile." Yep. Yeah. So you see this as being the future.
0: I see this as being the future and what you talked about the spot market for healthcare, it exists in a lot of pockets in the United States for a lot of service categories, but in very, very specific conditions, usually because of one local entrepreneur who just kind of forged their way through and they convinced some surgeons to get on board. They convinced some self-insured employers. They found some commoditized uh, imaging services or surgery center services the real question is: Can this scale beyond just you know the grit of one entrepreneur? Can the system scale to being competitive and working on behalf of the patients? And can this spot market for healthcare even work, good in hospitals? And that's where the laws come into play, because mm-hmm. yes, we have the data that's out there because of the hospital and the payer transparency rules, but this other piece of the No Surprises Act now lays out this path for a good faith estimate which is packaged across all the participating providers so that knee replacement would have the facility and the implant and the anesthesiologist and the pre-op post-op the advanced eob that's adjudicated on top of the good faith estimate would be cost share relative to that full service package and so you're also now Facilitating more of the spot market by forcing the industry to package goods in a way that they never have before, and that's really interesting to me. That's where I think this has the opportunity to scale.
1: Yeah, I could see a lot of applications for this, and and also the reality is is that you know you have to deal with the markets that have capitation. How do they deal with capitated markets? Uh, what is a capitated provider? I can see how. What do they put on their website? I'm a global capitated provider. How do I actually provide this information?
0: Yeah, in the, the technical answer, is in the payer disclosures for a full cap plan and, and rate, you would disclose which codes are subject to cap and which providers. You would publish the derived accounting amount that would be used internally for that. And so, it is really interesting with cap. You sort of decouple the patient's cost share and the pair provider reimbursement, which in some ways gives you more flexibility to create a consumer experience. Um, where it's more driven by the plan design. Right. Than than what the provider and pair have negotiated. And what you find is in markets with high levels of capitation, uh, just a lot of confusion right now. Yeah, your home uh, market is very capitated, right? California. Exactly, and so a lot of Southern California is a little bit more dipping their toes in the water with the transparent data with these patient estimate tools because it's a little harder to navigate um especially in like overlapping value-based care models it's a little more difficult to reconcile these claims and create a holistic consumer financial experience so um yeah, it's an open question, but what we've got so far is you can at least see when rates are capped in new transparency data. Mm-hmm.
1: Does the, the, the just the one last question on cap the curiosity that the, the, the laws deal with capitation? Does it, does it address capitation? What is required to be disclosed? Is there, a, is there a methodology that the law says this is what you have to do in a
0: capitated arrangement? Yep, it's really specific about it. And we're things get a little bit more gray is in the spectrum between like full risk, full cap, and just some more simple, you know, upside only arrangements. You don't really have a way to disclose the spectrum of value-based care in the transparency disclosures right now, maybe in the future. but You really just get like these full cap disclosures. That That's what's in the law right now.
1: All right. Um, so two years in, lots of customers coming to your door. Business is growing. Give us a sense of how you're doing.
0: Yeah. Business is growing. We've got over 140 customers. It's split. So we're trying to engage both sides of the market, purchasers and suppliers, you know, payers and providers. And so we work pretty evenly with both sides. So you're trying to create this healthy Regional macroeconomic competition um, and that's going really well and what we've seen is that we have this this chart that we show of like the stages of acceptance or the stages of denial with price mm-hmm. transparency moving from BC to ad we've left the stage of outright denial you know for a while payers and providers would drag kicking and screaming to the transparency party and now we see folks, embracing the silver lining of like, hey, if we have to do this, we might as well use the data to set our rates. We might as well create a patient estimate tool because we have to be compliant. And you see the other leaders that are fully in transformation mode. Here's the future of healthcare. There's going to be a spot market for healthcare. We've got to package our services. And this is where everything's going. So we've got to be first. And that's that's where the market's at. And so that's fueled a lot of our growth and we, you know, we were here at the right time. Terrific. All right, last yeah. question. Well, last two questions.
1: Ready? So, question one would be: um, Give the. Uh, I mean, two years in, right? So you're effectively a startup entrepreneur. So give the yeah. the, the the startup entrepreneur out there, a piece of advice: How do you get going, and how do you get funded? Because that's the mystery. For everybody who wants the answer, for which everyone wants to answer. How do you
0: get going? Yeah. How do you get going? How do you get funded? When we look at just my experience with turquoise, it was we knew a lot about a cert a specific space, so we were very um, we were specified, which I think appealed to healthcare investors. And then the other thing that really appealed with my co-founder and I is that we were very aware of you know what I'm good at and then my shortcomings, what he's good at his shortcomings, and then the initial team we needed where we both fell short. And I think that awareness of going into those early stage pitches of here's the founding team and why I can't do everything as myself, Chris. I think okay. early stage investors really appreciate that. Awesome.
1: All right, where can are you tweeting, LinkedIn? Where can people find out about the business? Give us the website location. I'm sure there'll be a the, lot of the, curiosity to find you.
0: The website is turquoise um, I'm sure we tweet from the turquoise hc is our our handle. And then me myself, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, but also I'm busy building this stuff. I don't really, I don't post too much. So maybe I should start posting. more. I don't post much either.
1: (laughs) Get yourself in trouble if you post too much, right? Let Elon Musk do all the posting. I'll I'll just read, you know.
0: Sounds like a good plan.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, great. Great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. It's great to hear about your company and congratulations on your success. It sounds awesome.
0: Cool. Thanks for having me.